Franklin plan or whatever, they have scheduled in there. They're billionaires. They are at the top of their game and they still have scheduled time called me time. They will listen to a podcast. They will do exactly what you just said, Jess, which automatically qualifies you as one of the top point four centers that I love to be around because you just confessed your sins right out of the chutes without my commentary. You're curious to interview people outside of your bailiff, outside of your wheelhouse, outside of what you do. These billionaires are still... Welcome to the Jess Larson Show, where I interview innovators and leaders. Uh, today on the show, I've got Dan Clark. Dan, thanks for doing this. Thank you for having me, Jess. So, yeah, you have got a super impressive background. I'm going to read just a couple of highlights, and then uh, I'll let you fill in any of the big ones I miss. Founder and CEO of an international multi-million dollar communications company, inducted into the Professional Speakers Hall of Fame, named one of the top 10 motivational speakers in the world, uh, New York Times bestselling author, 37 books, primary contributor of primary, contributing author of Chicken Soup for the Soul series, gold record songwriter, university professor, host of Power Players podcast, which we're going to talk about. I'm super impressed with you guys on there um like this this just goes on and on like been on tv oprah and jimmy fallon and all these places been in so many articles flying us flying in a spy plane like this kind of sounds like a comic book i'm not gonna lie it's pretty awesome yeah people say who are you like forrest gump i'm like yeah baby. okay tell me tell me a couple of highlights i missed there my flagship book's called the art of significance achieving the level beyond success and when I signed my book deal with Penguin Random House, they said, Covey, uh, he owns seven habits. Jim Collins owns good to great. They want me, we want you, Dan, to own significance. And this was way back in 2013. So as I finished my book tour, the most frequently asked question was, what is it? What's the difference between success and significance? Do you have to be successful before you can be significant? And I think the direct answer is in a very short conversation I had with one of my football teammates. He was drafted into the National Football League in the second round by the Philadelphia Eagles. And after two years with the Eagles, he's traded to my Oakland Raiders. And after four years in the league playing at the highest Pro Bowl status, one day he walks out of practice, quits never to play again. Why? He loved being a football player, but he hated playing football. He got what he thought he wanted, the life of success always competing and comparing against others. Nice house, nice car. Let's raise money for this fund so we can invest and make millions of dollars and then die with our music still in us. So because his inner voice and his true purpose in life was misaligned with who he was and his greater purpose, he would never live that life of significance that we all really crave. And so he would die with his dreams, his, his goals, and his music still in it. And that's what impressed me so much in meeting you, Jess. As you recall, we were judges. Or we, were, we were part of a big entrepreneurial movement and effort and actual degree awarded at Utah State University. And I'm in the room full of a lot of distinguished VIPs, a lot of wealthy movers and shakers. And I asked the organizer, okay, who in the room do you think I should meet? Who in the room do you think I, I could have a possibility of, of finding that synchronicity, that, that more than serendipitous connection where once we leave Utah State University, we might do something larger than we've ever done? And he didn't even think. He just said, Jess Larson. So I checked you out. And your hair hadn't moved since 1997. And so I was immediately intimidated because I'm losing my hair right here. I'm growing it in places. I don't even need it. Not a fair trade-off. The only hope is that the hair on my right ear will grow long enough. I can comb it up over the top of my head and thank all of your viewers out. But anyway, that's why we're here. 
And that's kind of filling in the blanks that I think everybody needs to know because we don't have a long history together, but the length of the relationship has absolutely nothing to do with the strength and meaning of the relationship. And so I'm delighted to be on your podcast and I can't wait to have you online. I, I would love to be. By the way, anybody who hasn't seen Dan's podcast, just go to danclark.com and look at like such great authors like Amy Cuddy. Uh, really, I'm envious of so many of these people. Elizabeth Smart, Jack Canfield, uh, Jeremy Andrus from Traeger and, and all those other things he's done. You know, this is not new for you. You've met so many impressive people your whole life. Why are you podcasting these days? What do you like about podcasting? Well, I could easily be twice your age and I can't tell anyone when that date occurs, when you act, figure out that the rest of your life must be sent, must be spent in, in, in creating a legacy. And, you know, I played football, you know, I, I'll get into the details, the quick, short snapshot synopsis details of my football injury. But in a direct answer to your question, bro, most men stereotypically have a midlife crisis about the age of 50 or 55. And the definition of a midlife crisis is where the man you are comes face to face with the man you thought you would be or you would become. And most men have their midlife crisis when they're 50 to 55. And I had mine when I was 23. And so when you have, you know, a significant emotional event, SEE, and a significant emotional event is, is, is defined by psychologists as an event that you can actually quantify that's measurable, where you can actually see and quantify how you thought and how you behaved before it occurred and how you now think differently and behave differently because it occurred. So the two operative words are before and because, before and because. And when I had such a such a life-changing event happen in my life at age 23, paralyzed for 14 months in a tackling drill, football tackling drill, my eye drooped on loss of speech, couldn't talk anymore, right side stayed paralyzed, arm dangled at my side. I went to 16 of the finest doctors in all of North America, even went up into Canada. One of my offices was Oakville, Ontario back in the day. And I went to 16 of the finest doctors in all of North America, 15 of whom told me I would never get better. I would never recover. And what happens if you believe that? You never get better. You never recover. And so my life hit what I thought was a fast moving downward spiral until I hit what I thought was rock bottom. Now I've recovered. The most frequently asked questions are, Clark, why did you go to so many different doctors? And the answer is I kept going from doctor to doctor until I found one who believed I would get better. So the significance of us teaming up, the significance of people tuning into your your podcast, the significance of my answer of why did I decide to podcast? I've written 37 books. I still love to speak. I'm going to die with my boots on. I leave tomorrow to go to Europe. It's so critically important that I fulfill my calling to make sure my life is a life of significance. But I'm telling you what, if we will all take the time to pause long enough to answer why we're here, what's really going on, and what is our purpose, I guarantee it changes our entire life. So the direct answer to your question, which is a long answer, is the second question I've, I was asked during these talk show interviews. Clark, you recovered, but what took you so long? And the answer is simple. I was asking the wrong questions. I was asking the doctors how to get better when I should have been asking myself why. And once we answer why, figuring out the how-to becomes clear and simple, not easy. We still have to put in the work. We still have to do the hard things. But it became clear and simple. So the bottom line message is this. And really, the reason why you and I were brought together, I believe, and I know you believe, and most of us believe that things happen for a reason. But because of my background and my path that I traveled to get to this podcast, 
things happen for a reason, but it's our responsibility to determine what that reason is. And you think about it now in retrospect, I can publicly, and I always do in my speeches, I admit that my football injury is clearly one of the best things that ever happened. And don't misunderstand me. My accident isn't one of the best things that happened to me, but who I became as a man and what I learned about time and priorities and, and, and that we really do become the average of the five people we associate with the most, even online, that this relationship that just began just a few short weeks ago in Logan, Utah, I guarantee will flourish as we focus in on why and make sure our whys are, 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 in, are in cahoots. There's no misalignment. And now that I've discovered my why way back in the day, as I grow older, my job, my purpose in life is to amplify that why believing and understanding just as cheesy as it sounds. I know in every one of my audiences, I've spoken over 6,000 times, 73 countries, most of the Fortune 500, Super Bowl champions, United Nations, millions and millions of people. I believe in my heart of hearts that in every one of my audiences, there's at least one man or one woman who is hurting as badly as I was. And maybe I could say one thing that would keep them or their child from killing themselves in this pandemic suicide epidemic. I could say one thing that would save their marriage. I could say one thing that would encourage them to roll the dice and invest in it in a fund like yours, knowing that it's the transference of trust. Once we trust leadership, once we trust you, Jess, here's my money. I won't bug you. Just tell me when I get my 24% return. <laughs> Long answer, but I hope that made sense, brother. Yeah. Just, this is really important to me. Well, I, I think I think one of the reasons that I was excited to have you on the show is, well, there's a few right off the bat, but I, I mean, in some ways, this show is like an experiment for me of like, what can I learn by talking to people who do nothing the same as me? You know, these people from so many different backgrounds, like what can I learn from people who don't have the same group think as me and my friends? And then the other thing is like, what do these like the most high achievers, what do they have in common regardless of what they do? And so, you know, like you've met so many presidents and celebrities and all these different people who, who, who reached the top of their game at what they do. I would, I would be interested in maybe turning these questions over to you a little bit of as you think about a lifetime of being an unco uncommonly high achiever and associating with them. I'm interested in what you feel like are a couple of traits that you see over and over in, in the highest achievers you've spent time with. Yeah, always remembering that something we've all heard, but it's so true. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. So someone like you, Jess, you know, watching you from a distance in this environment of college students who found out who you are and what you've been able to accomplish, always wanting something from you, draining your energy and your wisdom until you're drip dry and crawling back to your car and driving home to Heber, emotionally drained, drip dry. Well, at some point, the high achievers also know that they must do whatever it takes to fill our own flasks. So one thing that I've found in common, even guys like Elon Musk, Sir Richard Branson, folks that I've had a chance to meet, if you looked at their at their 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 day timer, their Franklin plan or whatever, they have scheduled in there. They're billionaires. They are at the top of their game and they still have scheduled time called me time. They will listen to a podcast. They will do exactly what you just said, Jess, which automatically qualifies you as one of the top one percenters that I love to be around because you just confessed your sins right out of the shoots without my commentary. 
You're curious to interview people outside of your bailiwick, outside of your wheelhouse, outside of what you do. These billionaires are still searching the podcast. The Amy Cuddy's, when I interviewed her, she has the second most viewed uh, TED Talk in the history of TED Talks, over 57 million views. And it was on body language. She's a Harvard professor. How do you talk about body language when it's an audio or, or, or Zoom recording? Did it matter? So to your point, every high achiever, and I, I'm curious, I always say, hey, you know, can I, can I see your calendar? I've kind of taken a poll. You know, I don't want to sound, you know, I definitely don't want to sound, you know, and, you know, arrogant and, and pompous, but I usually fly first class and it's good for a big guy. So a long time ago, I decided to do my own survey and I walked to the back of the plane and it was a four hour flight from Salt Lake City, Utah to Atlanta. And I got to the back of the plane and then I just walked slowly forward, looking left and right. Most people flying coach were either sleeping or watching a move that we, we need downtime some of the time. But when I got to first class, everybody was either listening to a podcast, working or reading to become better than they were when they took off. I love the rope. People go, oh my gosh, Clark, you know, you, you've been this, this, this travel. I have 6 million miles just on Delta Airlines. I've been happily married for 41 years. Everybody goes, Clark, what's your secret? I've only been home six weeks total. It's still going perfect. <laughs> and my wife, when I say that, she always kicks me under the table. There's a little bit of truth in that, as we know. But when I jump on a plane, Jess, no one can get a hold of it. And I do not log on email. It's my time. I've read 37 books. I've read one book a week for the last 16 and a half years. I'm coming to you from my library. I love to read 15 minutes at a time. I wake up 15 minutes early every every day. And over the course of a month, 30 days, that adds 7.5 new working productive hours to your month. And if you do that religiously over the course of a year, you've added 90 extra hours, productive hours to do something. So I put a gym in my house so I don't have to fight the snow on a cold morning and go compete in a gym with those little cute French guys in the fuchsia spandex trying to get my time on the, on the, on the treadmill. I ain't going to do that. So I go into the gym and if I don't go to the gym at 5 a.m. when I wake up by 8.30, I've talked myself out of exercise and I'm saving my money up for liposuction and a tummy tuck. So I know me, I got to have a routine. I got to do what I got to do. And I, in, I, I'm inspired and empowered by the top 1% achievers because that's what they do. The Michael Jordans, the Kobe Bryants, the D1-D-Wades, all these folks if you read, you know, winning by, 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 I just had a break. Grover, is that? Right, right, right. By Jim Grover. That's what he talks about. These folks paid the price. What is happiness? It's pain. It's sacrifice. It's not law, law land. They came early. They stayed late. So we're not going to drive ourselves, but we got to believe something. And I love to take a quote and then twist it around and make it my own with an up-leveled definition. Example, if you sit around wondering whether or not your glass is half empty or half full, you've missed the point. It's refillable. Thinking positively or thinking negatively does not fill up the glass. The pouring does. Quote, it's easier to act your way into positive thinking than it is to think your way into positive action. So you've got to schedule me time. And if you have children and if you have a spouse, wake up before they do. I put a recording studio in my house. I have gold records in country music because my creative juice is so often kicking at about 1130 at night or 12 p.m. So I do the children thing, read the book. You know, recite the Clark Credo so they have a positive affirmation to go to sleep on, say our family prayers, do the spouse thing, read between the lines. I'm, I'm a stud muffin hunk of burnt love, just like you are, Jess. <laughs> but once we put our spouses to bed, bam, it's me time again. 
So that, the two parts of the question, bro, schedule me time. And I've been in, in seminars before. I've been in a mastermind before where everybody there paid $25,000 and there was 250 people there. And the presenter, the big name speaker, I won't tell you who he is. He said, any of you feel like you're successful and everybody raised their hand. And he says, let me see your, 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 your day planner. Let me see your Franklin. He was, he was willing. Somebody raised their hand and he open up the day planner in front of everyone. And he says, you're not successful. You don't have one seminar scheduled. You don't have one podcast scheduled. You don't have any me time scheduled. You're a farce. He calls them out. Second part to your question, we must retain our childlike wonderment. We must be curious. I'm a songwriter. No matter what kind of music you like, remember, there are only 12 notes in music. Most people say there's seven. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Contrable for the year 1685. A very famous music composer in Western Europe decides he wants more options. He's got to put the black keys on the piano. So you, if you look at the 88 keys on a keyboard, there's seven white notes and five black notes. A total of 12 notes in music. What does that have to do with you and the podcast? Everything. Every song written was written with the same 12 notes. The only difference between one song and another song is the order in which the 12 notes fall and the timing and spacing in between the notes. So the question is, what's the difference between a hit songwriter and a lousy songwriter? If they have the same access to the same, they have access to the same 12 notes. What's the difference between a great banker and a lousy banker? They have access to the same interest rates in the same economy. What's the difference between a great fund manager, one who has that ability to transfer trust and raise capital and showcase what we're going to invest in, and just some average Joe who ends up losing? The answer is exactly the same, Jess. The difference between a hit songwriter and a lousy songwriter is passion, creativity, imagination, and innovation. So the next time anyone, any of your viewers, hears, you've got to think outside the lines, you've got to think outside the box, will you join me in the back of the room as a maverick renegade and ask, what if the answers are still in the box? Everything required to take ourselves to the next level is already inside of you. What we have to do is hang around with fellow songwriters who encourage us and talk about the right things to trigger more passion, creativity, imagination, and innovation to become the best version of ourselves, even online on a podcast. Long answers, but so profound in the reality of why you're doing what you're doing, why I'm doing what I'm doing, and why your podcast is not any different than what you do on a daily basis as a fund manager. I'm telling you what, you're still the same Jess Larson that I could have met 20 years ago. You're just using different vehicles to manifest your full capacity and potential as a human being. I honor you, bro. I honor you. <laughs> you know, I think what I really appreciate about that message is What's funny is for the, for the 20 years in between me and the Jess from 20 years ago, I feel like I've done a lot of like, tried to position myself as the kind of person that I think that I thought the market wanted me to be. And, you know, ever since I fluked into getting on a mergers and acquisitions team at Citigroup and they were the, so we were the number one mid-market team in the world at the time. And, and so I could go to meetings for like the last 18 years since then, I can go to meetings and people, you know, they want to do the, like, are you important or not background check? And I say, oh, I started out on M&A at City and they, nobody asks, oh, well, did you go to Harvard or Yale or anything? Because, because I had that cred, they didn't go back to find out, no, I'm an art school dropout, right? But I've spent so much time pretending to be like a real finance guy who went to an Ivy League school and then did Excel spreadsheets for 10 years in a basement at an investment banking firm, worked there up to VP. And this new business is like so exciting because I get to, instead of trying to be like a Wall Street investment guy, I get to be snowboarder artist. 
investment guy. And it's like, it's funny that you said that because I feel more like I did in, as a 20 year old now than most of the times between, between them, these last 20 years, pretending to be an adult. And it, it is interesting, you know, I'm, I'm a real audiobook nerd and watch a lot of people's speeches on YouTube and stuff. And the ones that really stick to me are probably very similar for other folks, but it's the ones that like kind of exactly what you just said. I feel like they give me permission to be the real me instead of this cardboard cutout version of me. I wish people believed in. And I appreciate your message. And remember, Plato taught all knowledge is recollection. So I've been sitting here nodding my head while you've talked. And I noticed you nodding your head while I talked, which means I didn't teach you anything new. You are recalling something that you already learned in a previous experience. Yeah, the answers really are in the box. But if we have the right conversations with others, but more importantly, the right and correct conversations, authentic conversations with ourselves, and, and realize what my dad said, be the best you you can be because you're going to make a to somebody else. <laughs> finally, settle in on your talents, on your strengths, and not waste your time trying to strengthen your weakness. You know, Rudy Gobert with our Utah Jazz, he's seven feet tall. If you make him a point guard and say, work on your weaknesses, not only does he fail, but the team fails. Hire, you know, work your strengths and hire your weaknesses. We know that. Especially in this pandemic, if you come for money, you will leave for money. If you come for money, you will leave for money. We have to find those folks who share our why and realize that it, with, if their why is bigger than their why not and our why is bigger than my why not and, our, and we have that synchronicity, magic happens because you're the best version of you not trying to be me and I bring my strongest self to the table and together we rise. It's so critically important in this, in this pandemic that we understand that the only way we're going to thrive again is if we stop competing and comparing ourselves with others and just become the best version of ourselves. And that's so cliche. I, I swore I wouldn't say that in public ever again. Got to be the best version of yourself. Be present in the moment. No, if you're pre people who are present at the moment, it's because they're present. So they live in the past, which causes depression, or they live in the future, which causes worry, anxiety, and stress. But if you just focus in on right now, it's like ordering an Uber ride that requires that you enter your current location. And if you lie about where you are, the directions won't work. <laughs> at some point, we've got to be with the right people who basically basically say, be you, I'm here to support you, you be the best version, you bring everything that you can possibly bring, education, experience, passion, creativity, imagination, innovation, and there's nothing we can't accomplish. Because in the entrepreneurial world, where we had a chance to participate at Utah State University, where the, the better entrepreneurial colleges in the country, they're so dedicated in helping students make their dreams come true. As I'm reflecting on what my speech would be about, about as a keynote speaker, I realized most entrepreneurs, they think that they want to work for themselves, which is an oxymoron. You never do that. Somebody else pays your check, obviously. But most people think that the idea is to trade time for money. And therefore, we become shackled and we, 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 we become married to our businesses, our family self fall apart. You know, we gain the whole world and lose our soul. The real goal and what I believe you're about, brother, is that we, we exchange money for ideas, not time. Money for ideas, which means there's no such thing as a financial crisis, only an idea crisis. Ideas create income. So when you come up with that idea, it should be pretty easy to generate the capital to, 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 to grow your fund and do what you want to do with your magic, with your magic touch. 
So it really is deeper than just money. It really is about relationship management and where those relationships begin. Uh, such a good point. Well, listen, we'd like to cut these interviews in half. I think it's a good part for part to end part one. Everybody come back. I've got a lot of questions for Dan for part two. But Dan, uh, tell people best places to subscribe to your podcast, find your books, find out more about you, connect with you. Yeah, everywhere, everywhere you stream your podcast, it's called Power Players with Dan Clark. There's a couple of power players. Power Players with Dan Clark. And I'm really proud of it. We're growing it. I need you to subscribe and I definitely need you to download and share. It will help us out. And my uh, my posts that I, that I put on Instagram and Facebook, I'm really proud of those. I call it Master of the Morning so you own the day. So every Monday I, I post this about a five-minute video. I'm a storyteller being the primary contributor and author of all the chicken soup for the soul book. So a lot of times you'll laugh, sometimes you'll cry, but at least you'll get a powerful illustrative message that teaches a great management leadership motivational, resilient lesson. And that's found on Instagram and Facebook at Dan Clark Speak. If you want to snoop around and check out my credibility, it's danclark.com. That's my website. You go to my music page, you got to meet Dan. Actually, I've got a 15-minute documentary on YouTube. It's a 15-minute documentary of my five-hour sortie to the edge of space where I saw the curvature of the earth. I had a video camera in the cockpit. It's pretty sweet. So maybe you'd be interested in watching that. And maybe when we come back in part two, I can tell you about that extraordinary adventure that really changed my life forever. So Dan Clark speak and power players with Dan Clark. And, and then I, I suppose you could probably find a, a downloadable, frameable portrait of Jess Larson if you just Googled hair clip for men. <laughs> Bye, everyone.